Well, good morning, church. It is always a blessing to get to be together. And I just want to kind of remind us, you know, it's been a week or so. We, we had our back-to-school blessing Sunday last week that for, for me was just a, a wonderful time of focusing on the beginning of the school year, our teachers, our educators, our school staff, our students, and, and taking that, basically that entire worship service to focus on that was, was something that I felt like was really important, and if you're anything like me, it, was, it really was a blessing. But the week before that, we started a new sermon series that we're calling What Got Us Here Won't Get Us There. And I want to take just a moment, uh, because we have uh, new people with us this morning visiting, I want to also welcome our our college students back. It's good to see you. Uh, I want to just give us a sense, are we going to clap there for a second? Let's clap, yeah. I just want to kind of reset the, the series in our mind, right? And the, the idea comes from the Lewis and Clark Expedition, 1803 to 1806, where they're set off, they, they set out, rather, uh, because of, of the president, Jefferson, and they want to figure out if they can find a water route that's going to let them move people and, and resources, be able to trade across the continent, and it's this huge deal that everybody believes at that time exists. They just haven't discovered it yet. So they for years, go on this expedition, and they finally get to the Limhi Pass, they get up at the top, and they're expecting to kind of see this gentle slope down into the Pacific Ocean, that there's going to have all these different waterways they can use. They get up, and all they see for the first time are the Rocky Mountains. And so canoes have brought them that far, but canoes are not going to get them to the Pacific they're going to have to develop a whole new approach. They're going to have to develop skills, mountain hiking skills that they haven't developed so far. They're going to have to get horses. They're going to have to figure out how they're going to complete this journey when they find out that the world they're trying to navigate is different from what they thought it was. So it's that kind of metaphor that we're using to think through where the church is now especially in North America, as things continue to change at a pace that it's almost impossible for us to think, well, we can keep up with it. And it's especially impossible to keep up with that pace if we keep using old skills that we've developed, if we keep trying things we used to do that used to work, when we realize that as we look at our world, so many things have changed that that the church's response to that world is going to need to change. And if we wait to make changes until it's too late... Well, it's going to be too late. So what would it look like for us as God's people to proactively admit that the world is changing and then figure out how we can be faithful to that changing landscape? We read a a quote, and I want to read it one more time just to kind of give us a sense of, of what we're facing. To be sure, this is an adapt or die moment. This comes from the book Canoeing the Mountains. This is a moment when most of our backs are against the wall and we are unsure if the church will survive to the next generation. The answer is not to try harder, but to start a new adventure. To see not the absence of a water route, but the discovery of a new uncharted land beckoning us forward. Yes, in the face of the uncertainties, fears, and potential losses, to learn and to be transformed. Now, I realize that that quote, when it says, you know, we're unsure if the church will survive, it can be really challenging for us to face that. We talked about two weeks ago that, that before COVID, 
There were somewhere between 100 to 200 congregations in North America closing forever a week. When, when the church is facing that kind of challenge, right, and, and so many of those churches in one way or another, they were trying harder to do the things they'd always been doing in a world where that wasn't going to work. So the question isn't how do we try harder. The question is what would it take for our church family to go on a new adventure? Now I like that question better. It's still going to ask something of us. It's still, in fact, I think going to ask courage of us. But it's, it's not the courage to, to try to turn the, the clock back and go back in time. It's the courage to look forward and ask ourselves, what kind of changes do we need to make in our thinking and the way we're, we're seeing, the way we're imagining the world that would help us as a church more faithfully respond to this changing world? And the first thing we talked about last week is we need to be a church that intentionally chooses connection over content. Not connection instead of content, but connection over content. Because we talked about this, right? In the churches of Christ, in my, in my growing up years, which seems longer and longer all the time, farther back all the time, right? We were focused, I mean laser focused on having the right content. And that's how we grew our churches. We, we invited people to come and learn to hear that content. Community connection was happening, but it was kind of a side effect of a crowd of people gathered together around the right content. The right content is always going to matter. The content of the gospel is, is always at the center of who we are, but the content of the gospel is connection. The gospel repairs our broken relationship between us and God and our broken relationships between us and everybody else. It's not enough to talk about a gospel of connection. We've got to live it out. We've got to embody it. You don't need a church for content in our world anymore. You just need an internet connection. You need a church for connection that helps make that content real, authentic, lived out in front of you. So if we're forced to make a choice, and at times we are, I want us to be a church at least considers prioritizing intentionally connection over content. And you've seen us start doing that. That's why throughout the summer we had our family fun nights. And I, I talked to some people where it was like, well, oh, oh, you know, we're just spending time together. Yes, we're just spending time together. And when the Lord's people, when we spend time together, something sacred happens. Yeah, we have to push past talking about the weather and sports. But when we start sharing our lives, when we're together, something holy takes place. It's the connection that the gospel makes possible, okay? That was the first thing we talked about. And this, with the time we have left this morning, this week, I want us to think about being a church that chooses dedication over distraction. Our world is filled with opportunities to be distracted. In fact, you're holding a phone, many of you, in fact, some of you are looking at that phone right now, hoping I think you're reading the Bible. <laughs> I'm kidding. Kind of. Um, I, I, you, you know, I'm not judging. I know it can be a struggle to sit through a sermon. I've done it myself a few times. So, we've got, con now, now, studies have shown that our average attention spans are roughly the same they've always been since they started studying that stuff, right? Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, well, our attention spans are getting short. No, no, no. 
Our attention spans are the same as they've always been. It's the number of opportunities to be distracted that is just constantly always growing. We have more opportunities to have our attention pulled away from what we're trying to do than any other time in the history of the world. And studies have shown, because of that, that the average person, so in other words, probably you, you spend 47% of your time while you're actively engaged in something thinking of something other than what you're actively engaged in doing. So nearly half of your life while you're doing something, not while I'm talking and you're just trying to survive, right? While you're doing something. In other words, 47% of the time I'm up here preaching, my mind's wandering, and you may have followed it, <laughs> right? You, you, what are you doing? Okay. Here's the other thing the studies have shown. That's not just damaging to our productivity, which is where Americans tend to always go, right? If we do these studies and we say, well, half, half the time you're distracted from what you're actively doing, well, then you're half as, half, half as productive, right? That matters. But here's what they've always dis- also discovered, that, that it deeply impacts your sense of well-being and happiness, When you're that distracted, when you're headed in a thousand different directions at every second of the day, you start to feel like the center won't hold on who you are, what matters to you, where you're going, the kind of life you're trying to live. Have you ever gotten to the end of a crazy, hectic, busy day and you can't even remember what happened? And you woke up that morning and you had a plan and you had things you were going to do and things you were going to accomplish and you get into bed that night and you think, I don't even... I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know if I can find my way. Right? We, we all relate to that. There are constant sources of distraction in our world, and it's not healthy for us. In fact, I would say this. It's killing us. The level of distraction you and I are encountering on a daily basis is killing us. Now, I'm not just talking about physically killing us like distracted driving, which, by the way, continues to just grow every single year in terms of fatalities that happen when people are trying to drive and do something else. I'm talking about spiritually and emotionally as well. If you don't have a sense of your... If if your distractions are killing your sense of purpose your sense of meaning, your sense of movement of where you're trying to go. It's killing your soul. If you don't know who you are in the midst of all the the stuff that we have to face, it's killing your soul. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, talks about the kinds of people that those of us who follow Christ are trying to be. But then he talks about dedication, And so I want us to read that together now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in 14. He says, depending on how you count, he's about to list 10 or 12 different behaviors. Okay? Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that no one repays a wrong with a wrong, but always pursue the good for each other and everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in every situation because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't suppress the spirit. Don't brush off spirit-inspired messages, but examine everything carefully and hang on to what is good. And then the, the big summary statement, right? Avoid every kind of evil. Now, I want you to pay attention to this where I put, put some bold font here, right? Now, may the God of peace himself cause you 
to be completely dedicated to him. And may your spirit, soul, and body be kept intact and blameless at our Lord Jesus Christ's coming. The one who is calling you is faithful and will do this. Okay, so Paul lists out all of these different behaviors that help us understand the importance of the kind of life we could live if we chose dedication over distraction. And none of those behaviors come easily or naturally, at least they don't for me. Right? They're only behaviors that I'm going to be able to carry out if I'm focused. Continually focused on being the kind of person I have promised to be because of Jesus living and showing me this is what it looks like. And I say, I want to experience that. I want other people to experience that through me. But if you look at that list, right, it, it's all-inclusive. It's all-encompassing. It's all and often, Paul says things that make it obvious. He doesn't mean you're going to do this every once in a while. He means you're going to do it all the time. And he uses this phrase, right, completely dedicated. Now, the interesting thing about that is when we read it in that sentence, did you notice that you're not on your own in trying to be completely dedicated to God? He gets to the end of that list, and he says, now may the God of peace cause you to be completely dedicated to him. In other words, God is completely dedicated to helping us be completely dedicated to God, which is really good news because you and I can't do this on our own. We can't just roll up our sleeves and muscle down and decide, okay, from now on, no more distractions. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn my phone off. I'm going to get away from my computer. I'm going to turn off cable news. I'm, I'm going to focus on being awake and alive and alert to whatever it is I'm doing in that moment. No more distractions. Well, you know what? That's a really great thing for us to decide. But if we don't ask for God, if we don't open ourselves up, if we don't partner with God, the God of peace, to help us do this, we don't have a chance of actually pulling it off. It's a partnership. It's an openness that you and I have to first of all just confess. I'm distracted to the point that I have often in the, in the course of a day, in the course of a week, in the course of my life, I have, I've lost a sense of who I'm really trying to grow into. I have lost a sense of the direction that I have said to everybody, including myself, that these things matter to me, that this, this character matters to me, that these values matter to me. But if somebody else were to look at my life, they'd have to search long and hard to find any of those values actually present in me. I don't know what's happened to me. I don't know how I got here. Have you ever felt that? I don't know how I got here. And I don't know how to get back. Well, the first thing to do is to confess to God, I need your help. And God, Paul says, the one who gives us peace, he is completely dedicated to helping us grow into people who are completely dedicated to him. Now, here's something that's really important for us to notice. What's the experience of being people who are completely dedicated to God? What does it feel like? You still got your Bible app open? Or switch over from the game back to the Bible app, okay? I'm just joking. I got to make some distraction jokes in a distraction sermon, right? Don't, don't hate me. Okay. What does he say it feels like to be completely dedicated to God? That your spirit and your soul and your body are what? Held intact, kept intact. In other words, the center of who you are 
It holds. In a world of storms and distractions and and unpredictable things crashing into our lives, the God of peace wants us to be at peace inside of ourselves, of who are, all of who we are, it holds. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good. Because I have days where my center doesn't hold. And I feel like I'm coming apart at the seams. I feel like there's so many different things pulling me in too many different directions that I, I need that promise that the God of peace can bring me to peace, that sense of peace where my center holds. I know who I am, regardless of what's happening to me. I know where I'm trying to go regardless of of how things are unfolding in my life. I I know what my purpose is. I know where the meaning is. That all comes on the other side of being completely dedicated. Not half-hearted. Not halfway in. But all in. And the reason that that's important for us to realize this morning is I feel like too often... We forget this, that the quality of our dedication determines the quality of our satisfaction. We have all these things in our lives that we say are of utmost importance to us, but if you looked at how much we focused on them and invested in them, you'd say, yeah, you're kind of focused on that. Yeah, that does matter to you every once in a while, but you're kind of half-hearted in your effort. And yet, we want to be half-hearted in our our effort, in our dedication. We want to have, we don't just want a level 10, we want a level 11 satisfaction. We do this in our marriages. We do this in our friendships. We do this in our careers. We do this in all the things we say. We do this in our relationship with God. We say, look, I'm all in. But then our, our spiritual attention drifts. And, and we chase after whatever it is that seems new and fancy, and that's what I'm gonna, that's what I'm gonna focus on for right now. And then we come back later and we don't realize that we've lost ground. And we're dissatisfied. We're dissatisfied in our marriages and our friendships and our jobs. We're dissatisfied at church. If you're half hearted in your commitment to something, you should expect to be disappointed in your experience of it. I'm not just talking about church. It's true for church. If you're half-hearted about your dedication to church, you should expect to kind of be bored and ready for it to be over. But I'm talking about your life with God, something bigger, something that church is a part of, but something bigger than that. When we're not all in, and then we complain in our hearts about the fact that it just doesn't feel that great, that it doesn't, we don't see the upside. We need to be honest about the fact that The quality of our dedication determines the quality of our satisfaction. And if you're like me, what that means is you need to find a way to develop a deeper dedication so that you can experience a deeper sense of satisfaction. And Paul's onto something here. It's not just a list of things we believe to be true. It's a list of behaviors that we're truly living out. It's not just something that happens in my mind. It's something that happens in my life. It happens in your life. So I want to close the sermon by just giving us six really simple kind of broad ways for us to think about this week. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to look at this list and I want you to decide where do you want to start to develop a deeper dedication. Okay? I can't make that choice for you. I can't make you care more than you're going to choose to care 
But I want to give you a framework. I want to give you some structure, right? So the first, we've been talking and talking about this. In fact, some of you may be annoyed with how much we're talking about this right now. Get into a life group. Another way to say it is, if you want to, if you want to go deeper, you need to get smaller. You need to get in smaller settings where you're not just sitting and one person's talking, but everybody has a, a voice at the table. Everybody gets to share and talk. And again, you have to push past the weather and sports. You start talking about real things in your life, real things that matter, all the ways that, that you've lost your way, the, the ways that the distractions in your life are, are kind of devouring you. If you're going to tell somebody that, it goes a lot better if it's a few people who know you well it's, it's why, brothers and sisters, it's why it's so rare for anyone anymore to get up in the middle of a church this large and confess their deepest, darkest sin to this room. Right? Confession only really works in the context of close relationships with people who, when you're telling them, they're going to be around. They're already in your life, and they're going to be there to help you with whatever it is you're confessing. I grew up thinking confession was mostly about embarrassing yourself in front of your church family. Like it was a pound of flesh thing. It wasn't about the, what, what comes after the confession, which is that transformation of healing. If you're not in a smaller setting on a regular basis, I promise you, whether you realize it or not, you're probably hiding. You're hiding something, which means you're trying to deal with it all on your own. And none of us on our own can become more and more like Jesus. We need help. You need a group of people around us. Okay, another thing that I know we just assume we all do. You need to spend time with God, focused, dedicated time with God. And you know, if, if you're really sporadic at that, start somewhere. Start with five minutes. If you're going to pray and study, you know, you're probably going to need more than five minutes. But if you don't have a check-in time regularly with God, I can promise you you, you, you can start to slip into doing a bunch of things for God, but it's not coming out of the overflow of a loving relationship with God. And, and once that happens, even though you're doing some really good things, you, you're going to run out of steam. And you're going to be frustrated with everybody else who isn't doing what you want, and they're not responding the way you want. We've got to make the decision to clear out the distraction. And it takes active work. Did you know studies have shown that you're distracted if your phone is within reach? even if it's not buzzing and dinging and interrupting you. Your brain is trying to listen to see if somebody else needs you more than you need that time with God. So if you have to get the phone out of your room, right, go someplace, but check back in with God. God's with you all the time. But if you never have a, have a moment where you're really practicing the presence, noticing the presence, it's going to have a, a damaging effect on your spiritual life. Regularly seek to serve selflessly. That last word's the most important part of that. Too often in our culture, people serve, but they serve because they're working an angle. They're hoping the other person's going to do something in return. What would it mean for you often to make the decision, look, I want to be a servant, and I want to do it without any loaded expectations? Connected to that, right, is willingly work to fix what's broken. Don't tweet about what's broken. Don't Facebook post about what's broken. Do something to fix what's broken when you notice it. Too often, we kind of take the worst things in this world, we choose someone else to blame for it, and then we talk about them. 
like that's fixing what's broken in the world. That's not fixing what's broken in the world. That's further breaking the world. Same thing with church, right? I, I feel like, obviously, there's stuff we look around. We think this could be better. This could be improved. Let's just roll up our sleeves and work towards that. You know, I, I'm tempted at times to just write an email to somebody else and say, hey, would you fix that? Thanks. What would it look like for me to do that, for you to do that? Daily look for a chance to submit. This is my least favorite. Uh, and it's the one I need to, to work on first. Forced submission, there's nothing about forced submission that's Christian. I'm not talking about forced submission. I'm talking about you and I willingly choosing to submit what we want, our desires, our preferences, for the sake of another person. Without them ever asking. We just do it. And here's what's really difficult. If we choose to submit and nobody notices. You know, it's like if I'm going to suffer for you, I'd at least like a thank you card. No. What would it mean for me to, choose, to look for opportunities in any given day to say, you know what? I'm going to choose to be less important than I could demand to be. Because I want to learn more about what it feels like, not just reading about the way of Jesus, but I want to feel, I want to experience the way of Jesus. And finally, faithfully engage others with hope. We live in a cynical, skeptical world. And I feel like too often even Christians fall into the trap of engaging other people through cynicism and skepticism and assuming the worst. What would it mean for us to engage, not based on their track records, not based on if they already agree with us on everything else, but just because we're people of resurrection hope, what would it mean for us to choose to engage other people in their, their moments of struggle or their moments of mistake or their moments we disagree with them? What would it mean for us to envision a hope-filled future for them and us? On the other side of whatever it is they're struggling with, or whatever it is we disagree about. Man, I would love it if Christian people were known as, as the ones who saw everybody else through the eyes of hope. It's just six ways for us to start to think about what would it look like for me to ask God, help me be completely dedicated to you, and then help me not just think about being completely dedicated, help me live this complete dedication, so that I can wake up on the other side of that dedication and enjoy a quality of life, a satisfaction of life, a sense of meaning and purpose and direction that maybe I've never, I've never been able to experience before because I'm so distracted, because I'm heading in so many different directions. What would it mean for you to pursue God with such complete dedication that you actually experienced his presence and his love for you every waking moment? I want us to be a church that chooses dedication in the face of all the distraction that our world lays out for us, that we choose to love and want one thing. We're going to sing together now. As we do, if you haven't had a chance to take a picture of, of this list with your cell phone, go ahead, take a picture, think about it, pray about it this week. Where are you going to start? Developing that deeper dedication. It's who we're called to be. It's who God promises us we can be through his help and his help alone. Let's stand and sing together now.